Welcome to the Weird Learning Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Tracy Dix and Dr. Alex Patel, with special guest, Kia Morant. Today's episode, In Conversation, Settling into Student Life with Kia Morant. Hello, everyone. It's Tracy Dix here from Weird Learning with my good friend, Alex Patel. And we're very excited to welcome a special guest today, Kia Morant, whom I've known for quite a few years as a family friend, because your younger sister is good friends with my little boy. So we kind of met through play dates and nursery occasions and stuff like that. And that was since before you started going to university. So I remember when you were still deciding which one to go to and so on. And now you're in your third year. Which year you're in gets a little bit muddy, but we can explain more a little bit later. So since students are starting to move to university these few weeks, we thought it'd be useful to talk about your experiences of settling into uni. And you've actually had a very unique experience of having settled in twice because you changed course after your first year. And although in some ways that must have been really, really difficult at the time, on hindsight, hopefully you've made the right decision and you're in a much better position now with lots of wisdom gained along the way. So Kia, could you tell us a little bit about which course you're doing and which university you're at now? Yeah, I'm doing politics and economics, which is a Bachelor of Science at Aston University. Mm -hmm. And which one were you at before? I was at Goldsmiths University and I was doing politics, philosophy and economics there. Okay, so what made you decide to change? I think it was a lot of things, but I think the thing that was like the catalyst of me actually changing course was because COVID lockdown happened. Mm. So I was at uni. I didn't go back after February because we, me and my mum saw it was really starting to amp up. And my mum's ill and she's immunosuppressed. So she didn't want me to go back to London unless I knew what I was doing. Because I was debating leaving then, but I wasn't quite sure. Mm. Um And then, yeah, a week before the COVID lockdown happened, Mum Clarice sensed it was going to happen. She was really telling me I need to stay home before I know if I'm going to just stay in London or just stay in Coventry. Mm. And I had a speak with my personal tutor at Goldsmiths and they weren't really offering anything online. And I didn't want to only be in London, not be able to see my family. So I was like, I don't think this is going to work out for me. But before then, there was also issues that were going on that didn't make me necessarily want to stay at that uni. Was that to do with how the course was being taught, that it didn't suit you or more kind of like, I guess, social, missing home, those types of things? I think I missed home quite a lot because... Well, I never moved away so that was quite it difficult. Is a big change and obviously it? being in London it's very expensive to get back to Coventry um, mm-hmm. unless you get a coach which takes such a long time <laughs> which I didn't enjoy doing so I usually got the train and it was just very expensive but no I wasn't a fan of the area I was in in London I was in Lewisham which it's nice but it's um yeah it had its rough areas and uni was unfortunately on the street where just a lot of not great things happened um mm-hmm near the same area where Sarah Everard and I can't remember the lady that yeah that got taken happened and there were it's got a really high incidence of violence that's really not towards women so it was it was yeah I had a few instances where it was not good so that was not great and then also from the teaching standpoint I actually quite enjoyed how the course was taught I didn't mind that at all I enjoyed the subject as well I really enjoyed philosophy which I had to drop moving to Aston because I didn't offer it oh, that's a shame I know yeah I really really loved it on the plus side you can you know borrow books from the library and delve into philosophy yourself 
In fact, I've got a lovely big yellow book, which I think is called Philosophy for Dummies. <laughs> I have the same book. <laughs> oh, <that's cool. laughs> you might be able to squeeze a bit of philosophy into your dissertation and finally your project. If, I mean, I want to say if there's someone who's willing to supervise it, but actually they should be willing to, shouldn't they? I think it depends on the academic, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a bit of philosophy in the politics that I've done last year, not so much. In fact, no, and this year I had uh, two modules where I did an essay on sort of the mix between philosophy and politics. So okay, so mm. there is still some space to do that. Yeah. That's interesting, actually. That highlights one of the nice things about study. You are able to follow your interests a bit more, whereas in A-level and before that, people, you know, have to stick very much to the curriculum. But I'm guessing you found at university that you kind of manage your own reading. So you might have a big reading list, but you can decide what directions to kind of pursue within that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We've digressed slightly with reading lists, I suppose, because we're talking about settling in, weren't we? Could you tell us about your recollections of settling into university life? They've been very different both times. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. for London, it was, everything was normal back then. And for Aston, my first year, it was during lockdown, so everything was online. So they're very different. But for London, I remember I was in a accommodation that was kind of far from campus. Everyone else was in one area. I was like, a five minute bus ride away so not too not too bad but I was very conscious of that so I found a group chat of everyone that was in the same accommodation as me and um, I made a couple of friends on there so I remember I had that kind of like support base which was very useful especially considering everyone else knew each other from the uni and mine was a private accommodation so some people went to King's and Imperial but I managed to make friends that went to Goldsmiths so I had a social group from that and then we met more people on the course remember it was very good going to all the freshers events okay what yeah. was the highlight oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> it must be like a long time ago now do you know what it's actually, actually yes yeah, yeah. It, it's about yeah three two or three years mm, yeah, yeah three years yeah so what kind of events did they offer so a lot of them were at the SU and I remember thinking that it was quite funny that there was so much stuff to do in London and they were putting on all these events at the SU so we'd go and crash the freshers' events of other unis and they'd like try and stop us at the door advance. Like, this is only for so and so. Like, we went to one that was for um, LSE and they're like, you can't come in here. And we're like, we've been in the queue, we've bought the tickets, we want to come in. And everyone behind was like, yeah, let them in. So we went in. So we, <laughs> so we did that a couple of times. I think the best one that we did was we crashed actually one of Goldsmith's events, which was for the, um, the international students. We didn't know this at the time, it was only for international students. But then oh, when we got in there, so where are you from? We're like, Coventry. Oh, yeah. It's a long way away. Yeah, really far. <laughs> when my friends pretended he was from France. I was like, stop it, Oscar, don't do it. <laughs> but that was very fun. They had great food, so I was very, very yeah. appreciative yeah. to be there. I think a lot of the things that are fun about university is doing things you're not supposed to do. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can. It is. I mean, university is about pushing the boundaries, right? It's not about okay I'm in dangerous territory here Alex is giving me looks but it is about pushing the boundary of current knowledge and students start to learn that very quickly in their social life yeah you're in charge of your own lives basically you no longer have that parental supervision but you do still have a little bit of supervision in terms of tutors and if there's what is it a warden for the halls of residence for example but I guess you didn't have that no so a lot of freedom 
So that can be a bit dangerous. People can go a bit off the rails. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the kind of adults at university, the academics, the hall wardens and people like that should be there to support you with the things that you want to do. They're not there to like discipline you because it's not like at school, is it? No. Like it, it's completely different. But yet there are still lots of rules that there students have to follow like when you get there did you have a big form you had to sign yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, I had it at the accommodation as well but yeah every seemed like everywhere you entered there was just a whole list of things that you had to be aware of that yes. you weren't allowed to do yes. yeah so taking responsibility is a thing mm. yes so yeah you can get into, into trouble at university for you know obviously cheating yeah using the internet for inappropriate things leaving the tap running in your accommodation <laughs> And definitely no candles. Definitely no candles. <laughs> yeah, I did hear of an issue where someone had left a pasta pot boiling the entire night, which was uh, not great. At least it was pasta, so there was water in there, but I oh, can't no. imagine. They could have boiled dry, though. Yeah, wow. They were quite lucky. They were lucky. There was no fire. Yeah, yeah. So apparently a slow cooker is a very good gift to give to someone at university. Yeah. They're prone <laughs> to leaving things cooking for a long time. Yeah, people are also talking a lot about slow, uh, slow cookers because of yeah. uh, saving money as well. So, yeah, I think it's really cool what you were saying about, you know, because of the various universities there are in London, like people kind of clubbing together from different universities and making friends, because that is a dynamic that I don't think exists anywhere else. I mean, so I, I don't really know if this happens because I went to Loughborough and that was like the only university in a town. So we didn't go crashing <laughs> anyone else's parties. But where we work, you know, there are two universities in the city and it'd be interesting to know whether like, you know, there's any kind of cross university mm. freshest week shenanigans going on. Yeah. So I know when I was at Manchester University, uh, we shared halls of residence with students from UNIST, which I think now has become part of Manchester University and the Manchester Metropolitan University. So, you know, we shared accommodation, often went to similar events. Mm, but didn't mix with the locals from Manchester at all. There was a very big divide. That yeah, they yeah, that often is the way, isn't it? Like students and like locals don't really mix unless there's some kind of common interest. So maybe through like a club or something. If you know, if there's like any kind of partnership with a local club, then you get a bit more of that kind mm. of social stuff going on. Okay, so what about Aston? Did you have a specific question about Aston, Alex? No, just what it was like to start, because you said that was during the pandemic. Yeah, so everything that I did was online. Um, there was no freshers week. There was kind of freshers events online. I went to one, it wasn't really. What How was it do you... I can't remember. <laughs> it, was, it was like a virtual, like a society event or something like that, which I didn't, I remember I went on it and I just didn't understand how this was possibly going to work. And you kind of, people would talk and it just wasn't. Yeah, yeah. so it didn't work. No. <laughs> so um, I think I heard stories of a university where one of the deputy vice chancellors or somebody quite senior may well have been dancing at a, some kind of online disco event, <laughs> which just sounds very amusing to me. Well, no, I didn't see anything like that. Faster, <laughs> but maybe I wasn't there. That can happen <laughs> elsewhere. I mean, a person like that could just pass off as a mature student, couldn't they? I mean, was he, was he in any way, like, demonstrating his position? No, no, no. Okay, no. just having a dance? Yes. Ah, well, why not? You know, trying to get the party started. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the first person on the dance floor, that's always interesting. 
some universities call it onboarding, you know, the actual induction. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, signing on to the university systems, getting you swipe cards or anything like that, getting access to your courses, your modules. How was that at Aston? Quick question, I'm trying to remember. I think <laughs> that we just, so for all of our modules, they seemed to all do this in the first week, like they didn't communicate with each other, they were all doing the same thing. It seemed mm. that every introduction lesson was giving the same advice on how to work everything. So that's, I guess that's how we did it. For, for, each, mm. for the first week, it was like three lessons of the same thing on how to go about uni. So yeah, that's how they did the... Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, I guess, it, you know, make sure it gets everyone. Mm. And if you don't get it the first time, you will buy the tenth. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's a lot of information in the first couple of weeks and people don't always take it all in. And I think sometimes students feel, you know, like when you're well into the first term, they start to feel like they can't ask questions anymore because it was all covered, but they can't remember. Mm -hmm. But it's also very normal to not remember everything. Because that means it's quite difficult for students who start late or for students who've changed course within the same university. Yeah, within a few months rather than after the first year. So I think universities overall are in a state of flux at the moment because I think there's still a bit of uncertainty. Although the world seems to have gone back to normal since COVID, I think there's still like a lot of hybrid activity going on. So it remains to be seen how, you know, current inductions and teaching goes for this year. Although I think most universities are trying to go more face-to-face now, which should be better for the students' experience. Yeah. Yeah, so the Quality Assurance Agency, they're the people who kind of regulate standards or give advice on standards to universities. Mm-hmm. Um, they've just published a report which has been talking about how the MOOCSA online assessment has been really inclusive. So it's really good for students who stop, suffer from a lot of stress and things like that, or for students who might find it difficult to actually get into the university and all mm-hmm. sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there is potentially a recommendation that we may stick with these kind of like online 24-hour windows for doing your exam. However, the flip side of that is that there's also been a huge increase in cheating, apparently. (laughs) So with some students um, on a course all getting together and in a giant WhatsApp group talking about the answers over this kind of 24-hour period. I'm not surprised. I can't say I'm surprised about that. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but but then you see, like, how is that necessarily different? So it's an exam versus, say, essays where you have like a, you know, you have a deadline and you have like an open window of when to do it. You know, you kind of given that deadline, you've got a few weeks in the run up to just structure your time how you like. So how is that kind of open window of like 48 hours to do an exam any different from an essay assignment? It it does, but also with the, you know, like for an essay, students could also be on a WhatsApp group talking about it, but they still have to bring it together themselves. I think it depends on the course, because so for my course, you get both, so you get essay, but then also for the economics, there's a lot of maths, so I could see an issue for that, because there's a definitive answer, and you just have to show your working out, so if someone told you how to do the working out, then mm. and you've got the answer then you get all the marks so I can see how that would be yeah an issue but yeah for the essay yeah I don't yeah because when I do essays I usually do talk to people in my course and like we'll give each other advice on like what sort of part of the question you think is interesting to like go and look into or mm. what like real mm. world things you put into it so even if you did get that advice for an exam I'm not sure it would actually make too much of a difference 
on what grade you got because I think it's more about how you can your skills have actually been able to argue your point and how you got there and mm-hmm. your understanding of the course and the knowledge and your own and the application yeah and the own reading you've done that means that you've got different stuff to what you've been taught I think that's what makes a difference so mm-hmm. I can see it being an issue for like science or maths but not so much for essays in my opinion interesting. so this was for psychology in particular see I wouldn't have thought an assessment for psychology would have like definite answers I, I think a lot of it would still be kind of discussion based or at least there would be short answers and you know students would still have to put things in their own words like you know individuals just explain things differently it's how we are so I, I can't really see you know that it would be a huge problem but then again I haven't marked those exams so I don't know. <laughs> okay, watch the space for that more is, developments. Yes, maybe we'll find someone who can come and talk on the podcast about it. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. So if you've been enjoying this podcast so far, or if you have any questions, do get in contact. So you can share this with your colleagues. You could leave a review if you found it helpful. And you can subscribe. And if you have any questions for future podcasts, do get in touch. So is there anything you would do differently? like you know advice you would give to students when they're starting university that's a good question I think for me I went I got to Goldsmiths through clearing so I didn't have the opportunity to go and see it and pick out my accommodation when it first comes available so I was left with what was available which was a private one which isn't as desirable um it was a really lovely accommodation because it's far away Mm. not got the social aspect Mm. it wasn't the one that got picked the most I would say that definitely make sure that you look into the accommodation as soon as possible and then when it becomes available try and make sure that you get the one that's the closest to campus not necessarily the nicest because I wouldn't say they've even got the best social aspect but just one where you know that you'll be able to meet people because I think making friends when you're eating makes all the difference mm. in terms of how much you're going to enjoy your time there um so I think if I could have that's what I would have done differently I'm trying to think what else um so how about studies yeah you know uh, coming from was it a level you did yeah yeah and then transitioning to studying at university uh what was that like are there any tips around how to cope with that change I think that it's not necessarily something I struggled with but I've seen other people struggle with it but I think a lot of people get caught on how you're taught to write essays when you're at sixth form because mm. I think it it's very focused on ticking boxes whereas when you're at uni you really have to focus on getting understanding of subject and then arguing your point without focusing necessarily on what you've been taught in the lectures or in your reading and bring in other facts that can enhance that but it's really your own work it's it's not it's Mm. not the work that you've been taught and you're regurgitating it to get a good mark and Mm. show that you know it you've got to find your own path and show you know that and kind of Mm. try and bring something new so when I've done, I've done a lot of group work at Aston, and I found that a lot of people don't necessarily understand that to the same way that I did, I think, when I came into university. So I think that's something really important that people need to look into. What do you think gave you that advantage when it came to applying knowledge and understanding that sometimes you have to find ways to make a topic your own rather than regurgitating, like you said? I think... The only reason that I had the upper hand there is because it's something that I did anyway at sixth form and at GCSE that I kind of got in trouble for because I didn't didn't enjoy what I was taught. So I was just kind of... You found your own path. Yeah, which didn't always work out for me in my grades. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's so interesting isn't it how like you know the thing you do at school is becomes something that's valued at university and yet you know at GCSE and A levels they lead to university and yet they don't lay the foundations for what you need to study at uni it's a a change in how you understand knowledge isn't it yeah and also the mass education aspect of A level is that you know the systems have to be set up so there is one answer and it can be marked and it can be standardized Mm. So I know um, in A-level biology, you have to use very specific terminology. So if you say the same thing, but using a slightly different term, you might not get the marks for it. Yeah, yeah. I did A-level psychology and that is yeah, something that I struggled yeah, with, which yeah. was very annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, whereas at university, particularly in second and third year, people are moving away from this idea of, you know, it's what's in the textbook. So instead, we're looking at what the meaning is, you know, that underlies the terminology. And also, you'll find that lots of researchers or academics have different perspectives, Yeah, you know, and they can often be contradictory. There's also a movement towards decolonizing the curriculum at many universities, isn't it, which involves students co-creating the curriculum with their academics and like kind of bringing their own background and insights to it and so I think moving away from in many cases like the kind of white male ways that many disciplines are taught or at least that kind of narrative are you familiar with that Kia? Yeah because I do politics it's oh yeah yeah. okay yes I think it's something (laughs) that's become very uh prevalent sorry in what we do I think at both universities I took a very similar module on um, making the modern world and colonialism. So we looked at that. And then I've noticed that kind of like the viewpoint of most of my lecturers, they really do try and make an effort to not just look at like a European mm. white kind of viewpoint of history and or political issues. We, we do try and like go further, look at what Europe has done to other places. But also we look at African scholars and Asian mm-hmm. scholars, and mm-hmm. which um, I think is is quite lucky but I don't know if it's the same in other courses I think it's just because of the degree subject Mm. I've chosen Mm. I think it does vary from place to place but I think overall there is a move towards doing more and more of that Um, I just wanted to pick up very quickly on what you said earlier about accommodation so it's a bit of a digression and you know checking out the accommodation and finding somewhere that's close to where students live because I came across the same thing I did my master's in Stratford upon Avon and ended up kind of living on uh, the completely different side of town to where every all the other students were so the students most of the students were living in somewhere called Old Town and I was on the other side and what this often meant was having to make your own way home after a night out when everyone else could walk home together and you just felt a lot safer So the following year, when I started my PhD, I moved to Old Town. And then like that was a lot easier for nights out and things. So, you know, it might seem like a little thing. You'll kind of work it out at the time, but you could save a lot on things like taxi fares and just feel so much safer walking home on your own or however you choose to get home. That's the same thing I did in London. I moved to December. I moved from my private accommodation, which I had to get a bus back to after a night out to um, an accommodation that was literally around the corner from the uni after I complained to them saying this isn't safe I didn't yeah. feel safe when I was going home yeah the exact same a girl going home by themselves just it didn't seem yeah and sometimes yeah. even you know you're catching a bus but even waiting at a bus stop is not ideal is it yeah on your own not at all in London <laughs> I clearly have no self-preservation instincts at all 
you know, I was I'd be in Manchester, go to uh, nights out, get bored of being at the club and just, you know, wander off home on my own. Yeah, my friend is that way and I'm like, yeah, don't do it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Some people are okay with it. Like, yeah, so I've got a friend who happens to be a black belt in karate. Actually, so this is Catherine who came on our podcast recently. Oh. So Catherine's got a black belt in karate and has no qualms about, you know, we're just getting on with her life. And I, I really admire her for that. You know, she just kind of walks where she wants does what she, whatever she wants and I you know and I'm sure she's come across incidents that are less than ideal but she's just kind of gotten on with life and she doesn't let anything face her I think the confidence kind of helps though if you're that way and you've got like confidence to me when you're walking on your own I think it makes a difference to I think having your, a black belt well it, it doesn't matter if it does for her or not really. yeah yeah well yeah yeah a lot of students seem to struggle a bit with time management, but time management is such a boring kind of phrase. And oh. So have you got any advice for students on how to manage their studies, you know, to make sure they hit those deadlines, they don't panic at the last minute, you know, trying to cram for an exam the following day? Yeah, that's a great question. I always seem to start I didn't notice that I did this actually until recently but I've always started whenever I start a module the first thing I look at is the assessment so that I can get in my mind straight away what it's asking of me if I'm going to only have to focus on one week's teachings for the entire assessment or if it's going to be a mix because then I think in your mind you kind of already even if you don't consciously know you already know what you're looking at and what you're going to need when it comes to doing an essay or the exam um, I think that's really helpful because you can already start thinking about which area of your module you're going to start working on and then you can really focus on the readings and the lecture and the seminars that week and take the best notes and that you're doing for the whole of your module hopefully you do it for the whole but if not then you can yeah. for that week I think that's a useful thing to do but also I think I know people don't like lists and making lists of the things they need to do each week but I think it's really helpful at the start of the term to kind of make a very it doesn't need to be very detailed but just for each week just write the things that you need to do or the things you need to complete and then have the when each exam day is so you can just see the time as you as the weeks are going by of like how much time you've got left to work on it how much time you've got left to work on this and you can have the goals in it as well yeah I don't know if I described that very well it's really good advice Mm -hmm. yeah so (laughs) we've had the pleasure of teaching time management for a few years now and, and a Gantt chart is a very good way of accomplishing No, I was just going to say that Alex is a big fan of a Gantt chart and I'm sure we'll cover it sometime. Yes, yes. <laughs> but what you were talking about there was kind of both macro and micro time management. So you're looking at the whole course and thinking, what are the key deadlines and planning for that? When I used to do this, it was when I was actually doing lectures. I had first started as a lecturer and I was terrified that um, I wouldn't, be ready so I printed this out and kind of put it on my wall so I could just keep track of the approaching deadlines and that was really helpful mm-hmm. but the kind of task list uh, that's the micro you know the either day by day or the week by week kind of these are the things I need to check off so another thing that you might well be doing is actually looking through this list and prioritizing which tasks you need to do first So it might be that they're the most urgent ones or the most important. So if it's important, it might be, you know, writing your essay or, you know, uh, writing the introduction section for something or other. But it's not urgent. So you might delay that a bit. But, you know, you have to get it done. If it's urgent, 
obviously <laughs> you need to get it done straight away but if it's not important then you know maybe that's something you can let so go that could be urgent a bathroom leak that's uh, well, pretty urgent yeah I was thinking studies actually yeah. Um, uh, yeah but you know students have to juggle a lot of things in their lives yeah but maybe email type communications okay saying okay we need to meet up to talk about this project that might be an urgent and quite easy thing to just cross off mm. and if it's neither urgent or and not important then that's when you ask yourself why am I doing this <laughs> anyway subscribe and follow us to find out more about Gab charts, yes, indeed, promising to do in the future. <laughs> okay, so I keep bringing the conversation back to social life, maybe because my thing is, how do you have a good work-life balance? Kia, are you a member of any clubs or societies? I'm not, unfortunately. Do you wish you were? Somewhat, but none of them have properly appealed to me. As of yeah, I did try out for. I didn't want to do this at all. My friend forced me for um, the football team at Aston, and that was just an awful experience. That sounds, football sounds very active. Yeah, it was uh, very intimidating. So, oh, very competitive. Yeah, and they all seemed like they were very knowledgeable, and I am not. But then after the fact, I found out they weren't, and I was like, oh, I should have just embraced it more, but it just it wasn't for me. I feel like in a lot of university clubs, there is like a pecking order, and I think the kind of seasoned members do like to strut around a little bit sometimes, you know, when they see like all the freshers and the newbies, they're kind of looking a bit, you know, like rabbits in the headlights. To be fair, that that is just social human nature. It is. So if you look at your academic departments, um, <laughs> there will also be a pecking order there. Mm-hmm. There'll be, you know, the heads, the people who have lots of influence the people who you just don't want to go near because if you prod them, it's like a bear kind of you know, attacking you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've never really thought of academics as a bear who might attack me before. I think I've been, well, okay. okay. A bear with a sore head. A bear with a sore head. Yeah, and yeah, there were definitely a couple of prickly personalities in my department when I was a student whom I avoided and others who were really lovely and really supportive. Yes, we should get that across. Um, yeah. So did you have much contact with staff? Did you go to see people for help if you needed it? I asked them that because it's online, it wasn't really, didn't really get the sort of, oh, well, you, you did in a way, actually, I guess more so because our lectures were on, gosh, I don't remember what they were on. Teams, Zoom. Probably Teams. Blackboard Collaborate. Blackboard, that's the one. Yeah, there we go. They're on Blackboard. So you've got the chat box where you're talking. So they'd usually mute us but we did have a chance to speak usually in a lecture you don't talk obviously it's just someone Mm. speaking at you so that was good you weren't really in the same room so you didn't necessarily want to have a conversation with someone while there's like 70 people watching you Mm. have a conversation so there wasn't you didn't speak as much um yeah it's easier to get to know people more than a small group or one-to-one so like your course in goldsmiths was kind of more ideal for that wasn't it yeah um there was only 15 people on my course and we were the only group of people that did philosophy so especially in the philosophy lectures and the philosophy seminars there was 15 of us in the room so we got to know them quite well um and also our leader of the department he was our politics teacher he was really approachable like he would come and ask us how we what we thought about Mm. the course because it was new so yeah Mm. they really wanted to that's really good speak to us we had a personal tutor that we actually met with which uh, i asked and we aren't really we don't meet them but he met with us he'd schedule it into our timetable like was i wasn't there that long but i saw him about four times so yeah so it was quite pretty supportive yeah Mm. have you got a close group of friends now from uni 
So me and my best friend from sixth form, we go to the same uni at Aston on the same course in the same year. So how did that happen? (laughs) So yeah, it it works out quite strangely. So she was doing a foundation year when I was in my first year at Goldsmiths. And then after everything that happened, I was feeling very like stressed what to do. I was going to have to go through clearing again to get into the uni. And because I was going to have to be at home, didn't necessarily get to go to the uni I wanted to go to. I was going to look into going to uni with Manchester, but I would have to have moved to Manchester. Mm. would have been the same issue. So I spoke to her about the course and what she thought about Aston. And she was saying that the course seemed really good. She was going to be doing politics and economics as well. So I just took the plunge and I was like, okay, I think I'll do this. I was considering Coventry, but they don't offer politics and economics mm-hmm. on the same course, which yeah. is really unfortunate. Mm. Um, so I have her. And then because we have lots of group projects, I've got to know various people throughout my time there. But recently, the most recent group I worked on um, in my first term this year, I've stayed close with. So we've got friends in that aspect. But um, yeah, the I think the setup of how we do uni at Aston isn't necessarily inclusive to being more social because yeah. it's very teacher-led. And we don't go in okay. as much because it was online. And now yeah. we only go in for seminars and it's kind of like front facing rather than mm. a group discussion. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yes. We kind of saw the same, a similar sort of thing happening where we work, where the idea of like group discussions is something that's quite new to the university, whereas other universities are a little bit more progressive <laughs> on that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's just um, so much value in seeing learning as being a social interaction a collaborative process so you know you're bouncing ideas off each other you're hearing different perspectives and it keeps you awake for one thing (laughs) keeps you on your toes (laughs) because in lectures (laughs) so when I was lecturing it was to like 200 first year biological sciences students and without fail there'd be somebody falling asleep in each lecture (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and I like to think it wasn't you know my style but you know maybe it was it's um, just like in, it's a bit like in parliament though isn't it it's always someone <laughs> I guess going so. asleep <laughs> I guess so so I asked everyone you know this this always happens so what would you like me to do if somebody falls asleep do you want me to you know highlight which individual it is get the friend to poke them keep them awake or I can't remember what they said now <laughs> oh, you forgot the punchline I did, I did. <laughs> that would be interesting maybe you remember one day So Kia, thank you very much for coming on today's episode and sharing your experiences. And we hope to see you again very soon. (laughs) Yes, thank you. And thank you for listening to us. Yeah. You have been listening to The Weird Learning Podcast with Dr. Tracy Dix and Dr. Alex Patel with special guest Kia Morant. Music by Defect Machine from Pixabay. Produced by Kelly Costigan.